morning. Uh, I am thankful to have all of you celebrate with us, uh, our family, uh, our 10th anniversary. And uh, they say that a uh, pastor can never do what he does without God and without his wife. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, if you don't have a supportive wife, you can't be in ministry. It just won't work. Um, she's got to be willing to, uh, to put up with all the different things and uh, all of the different pressures that, that come with being a part of ministry. And it's, a, it's a tremendous pressure on a family uh, to be in, in ministry leadership. And so I'm thankful uh, for my family as well. Yeah, Cole surprised me there with, uh, he put Dawson on there and made me cry. So, uh, But we're, we're thankful for all of our family. You know, God has been indescribably good to us. And uh, some of the testimonies of his grace, I'll share with you in a minute. In the month of September, we've been in a series called On Purpose. And we started with Discovering Purpose. And then last week we talked about Developing Purpose. This morning we're going to deal with doing purpose. And I want to go to Revelation chapter 2. And we'll read some and then we'll pray together. Revelation chapter 2. We talk about doing purpose this morning. Revelation 2 verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars at his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Let's talk about doing purpose this morning. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for each one who's here this morning. Thank you for uh, our dear friends who are here today, the family of God, and, and for those even that we have never met, but, but we just are so encouraged by their presence today and thankful that they would be here. And I pray that as we worship God together this morning, that you would give us exactly what we need from your word. And we thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, you are a great God, a merciful God, and your mercies never fail. And so I pray that you would bless us now this morning uh, as we look into your word once again. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul... Uh, had told the church at Philippi that he had not arrived. And even though he had served God for many years, he hadn't arrived. He was still pursuing God. And he said that he was going to uh, try to forget the things which are behind and reach forward to the things which are before as he pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians 3. And I want us to begin with some remembering today. Uh, not to rehash our faults or to regret our failures, but to recall the faithfulness of God upon us. 
in spite of our failures, in spite of our frailties, in spite of our humanity. You know, it's good from time to time to proclaim how gracious and faithful God has been to us. And, and the church at Ephesus had clearly let some things slip. And God is addressing them now in, in the book of Revelation. And they had drifted away from their first love of Jesus Christ. And now God was telling them to remember what things had been like when they were in a relationship with Jesus. And when they served him out of love and not duty. And we just read in verse number 5 in Revelation 2, Remember, therefore, from whence thou are fallen. And let's, let's start this morning by remembering God's promises. Remember God's promises is the first part of our message today. God told the church at Ephesus, he said, look, there are some good things you're doing, and you're laboring hard, and you're patient, and you're testing your teachers to make sure that they're preaching biblical doctrine, and you've been persistent in following me. But you need to remember some things. And he talked to them about the motivation behind serving God. It's not just about serving God. It's about serving God with the right motives. It's about having a heart for God and loving him because he first loved us. Trusting him because his promises have never fallen short even once. And God has been with us as a church through tests of faith. His mercies have never failed. You know, there are many lessons for us to learn from God about our faithfulness and about our commitment. And when we remember God's promised faithfulness and how he's followed through, we're ready for the next step. And so remembering is a big part of this. But as we go further into Revelation 2, I want you to look at verse 5 again. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And so let's talk uh, this second part of the message, renew God's principles. Renew God's principles. Uh, this word repent means to turn from your current path, to make a course change in your direction, to restore relationship with God, to reestablish connection with God. Remembering God's faithfulness and renewing God's principles helps us to renew God's truth in our lives. And I gave you four lessons from these past 10 years that I'd like to share with you this morning. And the first lesson I would like to talk to you about is how God even brought us to Centennial in the first place. In 1998, in February, of that year, my grandfather, my mom's dad, uh, was dying of stomach cancer. And he was uh, at the Veterans Hospital over in the north end of Boise. And, and so uh, my wife and I, we were down in Arkansas helping to start a church. And, and uh, we drove all the way up to Idaho with our dog and our cat because we didn't have anybody to take care of them. And our beagle, our dog, ate all the seatbelts in our car. Um, <laughs> While we, while we were here, and, uh, but we, uh, we drove up, and uh, on Sunday morning, we were visiting the hospital. Sunday morning, we looked in the phone book and tried to find a church to go to that was in Boise that was uh, a Baptist church that, you know, we believed we would agree with in doctrine and things, and, and there happened to be one that was listed in the North End, 
and it was called New Testament Baptist Church, and we went there, and we, there were several people gathered around the old Salvation Army chapel up there, and, and we met uh, the guy who, who, was, uh, who had started the, the little group, the gathering, and as soon as he met me, and I was, I think, 24, 25 years old, he started uh, telling us all these crazy things, like we were overwhelmed, all right? So we, church got, got done that morning, and he said, oh, you're in ministry? Can you preach tonight? And I said, well, I guess. You know, I've got a Bible. I can preach tonight. And he said, you know, I resigned just a few weeks ago. It wasn't even a church. It was just like 10 people. But he said, I, I had a nervous breakdown, and he's sharing all this stuff with us. And we're both looking at each other like, what in the world is going on? So, uh, so anyway, I preached that night, and a couple months passed by, and, and a, a pastor from Washington asked if, if we'd come back to that little gathering and if I would drive up and, and candidate to pastor. And so we drove from Arkansas all the way back to Idaho again with our dog and our cat. And uh, this time we took our other car and the dog ate the seatbelts in the other car. And, and so we were up here for uh, about a week and that night six or seven people had asked us to come and to uh, help start that church. So that was in April of, of 1998. And we were in Boise uh, Family Baptist Church, is, is what we called it when we organized, for eight and a half years. And I really believed that we would be there for life. I mean, we, we were lifers. We were into it. And it wasn't a big church. It was only about 40 or 50 people. And uh, as we kind of got going, and, and God gave us a presence there in Garden City. We were on Chinden for many years. And uh, in that spring of, of 2006, one of our key uh, ladies, Cornerstone family, uh, she died of colon cancer, and she was only 47 years old, and it just, it just grieved everybody. I mean, we, just, it, we could hardly meet anymore together as a church without there just being times of weeping. She was just such a presence in our body, and uh, that was in April, and in June, of that year in, in 2006, uh, I was at a pastor's meeting in Mountain Home, and uh, I was searching for the next step because we were struggling, and uh, just praying and asking God to show me what's next, and, and uh, I heard a, a guy in front of me stand up, and he had just started a church in Eagle, and he'd been there for like six months, and he said, you know, we can't find a place to meet, we've got this great gathering that's starting to come together. And for some reason, God just touched my heart. You need to talk to that guy. And I thought, well, why do I need to talk to that guy? And I kind of brushed it off. And it just wouldn't go away. For like three days, it wouldn't go away. And so finally, I called him and said, I don't know why I was supposed to meet with you, but God's been touching my heart to meet with you. And so we went to Starbucks and, and met together. <clears throat> and by the end of our discussion, uh, words came out of my mouth that I had never even thought of before. Um, the words that came out of my mouth were, I believe that God wants us to give you our building and for you to become the pastor. And then I kind of looked at myself like, what did I just say? I had no idea what I even just said. And, uh, and so that actually happened. Over the course of a couple of months, the churches merged, and they took the meeting place where we were uh, in Eagle area there. And, uh, and I at the same time, was asked to come to Centennial to be the teaching pastor of early August of, of that year of 2006. 
Well, uh, I was here for, for nine months or so. In June of 2007, uh, some really big things happened in this local church. And uh, the pastor who was here at the time resigned. And uh, I know him, he's my friend, but he resigned at that point. And uh, the church, uh, the, the deacons and officers asked me to step in and preach throughout the summer. And uh, then in September, the church was united enough where we um, wanted to have a pastor by that time. And, and there were struggles throughout that summer that I could not tell you stories about uh, just because it's in the past and, and it's water under the bridge. But we had some church uh, business meetings that summer that, you know, make the Democrat and Republican feuds look very little. Uh, it, was, it was bad stuff. People who had been friends for decades acted like they hated each other. And I stood right back there where Evan and Kyla are during a business meeting and said some things against the person, a person who had been the pastor of this church for many years uh, out of my flesh. And I had to come up the next Sunday and tell, you know, how sorry I was for doing that. I just blurted out some things and and I thought, man, God's never going to use me here, and we're going to have to go somewhere else. And we really, day to day, we had no idea for a whole summer what was going to happen. We didn't know where we were going to go. We kind of were prepping our kids to tell them, you know what, daddy's going to have to deliver pizza, and mommy's going to have to work a temp job, uh, because we, we didn't know what we were going to do. And, uh, and God brought us through that, and, and one of the things that that I remember is through that is that even in our failures, uh, that God can still work. And even when we mess up, because we mess up a lot, God can still work. And even when we overlook things and fail in things because we're human, God can still work. And, and so uh, we, you know, kind of went through all of that that summer and, and uh, God stabilized some things here at Centennial. But the truth I want you to get from it is this. This is lesson one in your notes. Where God guides, he provides. Where God guides, he provides. I get into lesson two with you this morning. Uh, we, we had been here uh, for about a year, and we got together with the deacons and officers and, and began to talk about how we needed to develop uh, plans for a new building, and, and we... We drew pictures on napkins and on whiteboards and chalkboards of what we were shooting for. And we were talking about, you know, we want to build something that will be for the future because we're developing our weekday ministries, our school and daycare. And, and we talked about, uh, you know, building a small little complex of classrooms. And our budget was $300,000. And when we kind of came back together, we found out that our budget was not $300,000, there was $900,000. And uh, so we were working through all of this. And, uh, and then when the city got involved, we found out that our budget was not $900,000 because the city wanted new sewer lines and lanes on the road. And it, the budget was then $1.4 million. And uh, we were trying to figure out how is God going to allow us to do all this. And, uh, you know, when you go through those types of things, uh, you have to really trust in what God's doing. And in 2009, we opened 
the building next door. And then we had another building program. And in 2012, we opened the upstairs of that building. And, uh, and then a couple years later, we really believed that it was, the timing was right for us to build the gymnasium. And uh, that has been such a process for the last three years uh, of just waiting and waiting and waiting and thinking we're doing something and then waiting some more and being rejected on some things and waiting some more. And we're still praying about that one. And I want you to know as the second lesson here as we look at this, that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. That's for my life. That's for your life. You know, God uses failures as part of our plan. When we mess up and we think there's no way something can work out, God's not surprised by it, and his timing is just right. And God brought us uh, to Idaho at exactly the right time. We showed up at the end of April in uh, 1998. And uh, right after we got here, uh, Amy and I had been married for four years and, and we couldn't have kids and, and we were struggling with it. And, and one of my aunts told us, you know, you should, uh, you should go to a class down at the Department of Health and Welfare. And, uh, and they have an adoption class and just go through the class and see if it's something you might be interested in. So we went in, and, and we took the class, and, and we were with people twice our age who were going to be foster parents and, and all sorts of things. And they told us in the class, uh, if you want to think about adoption through the state of Idaho, just know this. You're not going to get any blonde-haired, blue-eyed little baby, okay? It's going to be rough stuff. I mean, you're talking about the children of drug addicts and and it's hard. And, and I went up to preach at a meeting uh, in Oak Harbor, Washington. And my wife called and said, they want us to go visit a little boy who's 18 months old. And she said, I saw a picture of him. And he has blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I took this, uh, her dad. Uh, I, there wasn't a ferry late enough for me to get back. And so he drove me all the way around the peninsula up in Washington so I could get back to the airport. And I flew out from Seattle at 6 in the morning. And we uh, ate breakfast together and couldn't wait till we could go see this little boy. And uh, we met him for the first time. And it's Cody, the guy who was just on the video, who got married this summer to Michaela. And, uh, you know, God's timing is perfect. We, we, there's no way we could have shaped the timing where we could get to a place so that we could have just the right thing to have him as our son. And then that happened again with Dawson, with Autumn. And God has just worked miracles in our family life and in our church life. You know, his timing is, is so perfect. And it has taught me so much to wait on God because if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. And if God doesn't want to happen, there's no reason to force it because you're just going to make it harder on yourself. And, and so those are huge lessons that we've learned in this first 10 years. And that second one, God's timing is perfect. Let's go to lesson three. I'll tell you a story back from the early days. Uh, this is November 2007. And we had some big things we were doing that summer. Uh, I became pastor in September. And at the end of September, we ordered a church sign. 
because uh, our church sign had been run over by the tractor, and it had been bent for about five years, and nobody had really, you know, decided to do much, and so we bought a church sign, and we had guys out there welding and putting it up, it is exciting, and in October, I flew down to Palm Springs, California, uh, to buy a church van to drive back up here, and that's another story I'll have to tell you sometime. That's a crazy story. <laughs> I'm just, it's crazy. There was fire on the freeway. It, it was bad. Um, but <clears throat> we got the church van back, and in November, we had our mission banquet, and we decided that year that we were going to have it down at the Nampa Civic Center, and we had a, a catered meal, and it was, it was awesome. There's a great number of people that were present that night, and we stepped out on, on faith together, and I presented this project. Uh, I'd been talking to a friend who had done kind of a similar project, and it just God laid it on my heart that we should do it. And so we introduced this project to place uh, a specially printed New Testament into the hands of 25,000 homes in Canyon County. And so when I got up to introduce the project, I was scared to death, okay? Uh, because I was going to ask 100 people to come forward. And my human side was afraid that I might be the only one and that I probably would have to coerce my wife to come up. And, and so I introduced the project and people just started streaming forward. And the whole front of the room filled up. And these people were saying they were willing to offer $5 a week for the next year to invest in this printing and shipping of the Bibles. And, and then they would also go out and deliver five Bibles a week uh, to their marked neighborhood in the county. And uh, the tears were just streaming down my face. And I was so overwhelmed. I remember standing there just weeping uh, because God had allowed people to buy in to the vision. And, and that's how we knew it was from him because everybody signed on. Uh, there are times as a pastor I've learned this, okay? Uh, my vision was my vision instead of his. Uh, when it was my vision instead of his, nobody signed on, okay? But when it was God's vision, he's always faithful to bring the laborers in to do the work. And so I, I learned this big lesson during that time, and this is lesson three. God multiplies whatever you give to him. God multiplies whatever you give to him. If you sow willingly for eternity, God always multiplies it. Now, when you sow in your flesh, you know this, it's going to get multiplied too, okay? And they, just study the laws of the harvest, and you're going to find out uh, all of these important things. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10 reveals that God multiplies the seed that is sown and increases the fruits of righteousness through those who give of their time and their energy and their resources and their abilities and their gifts. Lesson four, share my heart with you a little bit, uh, toward moving forward as a church. You know, there are such special people in this congregation, and I could go through and talk about, in depth, about people in this room and how incredible you are and how God has blessed us. Uh, I, without God's leading and timing, I don't believe I'd be the pastor. But I also believe that without some men of faith, who withstood what happened in that summer of 2007, I don't believe I'd be the pastor. 
because there were men who had to put God and the local church ahead of friendships, ahead of some earthly relationships, and they stood, and there were people who uh, wrote letters about them and said horrible things about them, and they stood, and they did what God asked them to do, and I wouldn't be here without them, and we've had so many uh, incredible saints of God in this local assembly, and, and some of them have left us to go to heaven, and uh, we, we really have treasured the time we've had with them. Some of them have moved out of town. And the hardest one for me is when we have people who we love uh, who go to church and then they don't go out of town and they don't go to heaven. They just go to another church. And that's so hard for me. And it's taken me years to realize, you know, I can't get attached to what belongs to God in a way where I think it's mine. It's God's church. It's not my church. And it, I can't get so twisted and upset about my brothers and sisters in Christ because I'm going to spend eternity with them in heaven. And boy, I'd love them to continue to go here. But you know, sometimes God brings people in just for a time to help with one certain thing, and then he sends them down the road to another place. And so I, I've had to learn to be fine with them. But <clears throat> through these last several years, there, there have been some extreme hardships on our local church and, uh, you know, our family is incredibly blessed. We really are. And uh, we don't have one complaint in the world. But we have gone through some tough things as a church. Uh, we had a, a staff member who committed a crime several years ago. And it, it led into lawsuits and charges and all sorts of things. And it was just a devastating time for us. Uh, it was something he did on his own. Nobody here knew what was going on. Uh, and we've lost staff members uh, that we just didn't want to lose and in ways that we didn't always want to lose them. And uh, over these last few years, we had the roundabout project and, and uh, guests couldn't figure out how to get into our church for six months. And, and so it was kind of a dead time around here. And, and things have been tough. We've gone through some battles. And it seems like we've almost been facing a struggle like we're a church that's plateaued and, and that we're not moving forward. And we know that we need to be a multi-generational congregation to thrive. And I see before us this morning that God is, is still working on that. And we do have a multi-generational group. But you know, our attendance hasn't really grown much for about 16 months. And our outreach has not been significant. And there are times when it feels like God's done with us. And you know, it's easy to blame it on the culture we live in and to say, well, it's because of this culture that just hates God or, or the complacency of Christians, how uh, we just have live in a comfort zone as Christians. But, you know, we serve the same God that Noah and David and Daniel served. And I'm pretty sure they were in harder situations than us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Romans 8 says we're more than conquerors through him that loves us. And, and so for this last time, I, I've had to test my own faith. And uh, there are multiple times where my wife has asked me if I'm going through a midlife crisis, not just because I bought a Mini Cooper, but just <laughs> in general. And uh, she's asked me, she authentically has asked me if I need to see a counselor, if I have depression. 
Um, and I'm not joking. I'm being dead serious. Uh, because I just haven't had the drive uh, to do things that, that I sometimes have had. And my staff have noticed it. And they don't say much about it, but I know I've let them down. And I, I have had to question myself uh, about where my place is in God's will. And I've wondered, as I test my faith, if I've grown complacent and if I've grown satisfied. And, uh, you know, that's what happens so often is, is we get to a point where things aren't where we want them to be, but we realize that they're never going to be as good as we dreamed they would be. And so sometimes we just kind of give up on God's dreams and God's will. And I don't want to be the person that does that. You know, when I, when I was a young boy, just even before I got saved, when I was 12 years old, uh, I knew I was going to be a preacher. And, and uh, I cleaned out my whole closet when I was six years old. And I had one of those blue, I don't know if they were Tupperware. Did Tupperware make chairs? Or they just made, it was kind of like, I don't know what they were called. It's a little blue chair. And I put that in the closet. And I got some books from my dad's room uh, about prayer. And I put those up on the wall. And I made my own pastor's study. And then I would go out in the backyard and yell at the cows about heaven and hell. <clears throat> until the neighbors kind of, you know, started asking questions. And so they, my parents had to bring me back in. But, it, but I always knew that I was going to be a preacher. And, and I was saying when I was 12 years old, I got reassurance of my salvation. And I began to preach. I've preached thousands and thousands of sermons. And yet, uh, I wonder whether or not I'm willing to give enough for ministry to move forward. And I'm just sharing my heart, just being real with you. A lot of it coincided with one of God's greatest gifts to us, which is our little Sophie. Um, we never thought we'd be parents again. In fact, we thought we were home free. Uh, autumn is almost out, and we're done. And then uh, God blindsided us after being married for 18 years with a biological baby. And, uh, and Sophie has just been the joy of our life. And I don't know if it's being a parent, you know, at an advanced age, or if it's because I'm a you know, midlife crisis or whatever it is, but when I get done with work for the day, I don't want to go do more counseling with people who've torn their lives apart. I want to go see my little girl. And I don't want to go sit in a drunkard's home who's wasting his life. I want to play memory with her at the kitchen table. And so there's a balance and there's a struggle there. And if you've noticed and you thought, Pastor's losing it, he's just not what he used to be, that's what it is. I think, I, I think I'm just so in tune with being a parent right now that I'm just enjoying that so much. Uh, but I've wondered whether, whether I'm really giving everything I can to the Lord. And I remember this lesson, and this is the lesson I want you to get from this. What God starts, he finishes. What God starts, he finishes. There are a lot of people in this room who might be in the same boat as me, where you often think, I wonder if it's ever going to get better. I wonder if I'm ever going to do more. I wonder if I should give up. And God assures us in his word, he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. I know as an individual, 
I need the renewing mercy of God in my life every day. And if I don't spend time with God, uh, I can easily become cynical of everything. And I'm naturally geared towards cynicism and toward being a smart aleck. I have a very dry sense of humor. And I can see this world through the most cynical glasses you could ever imagine. And, and so I have to get with God every day. And I have to have God in my life as a husband and as a father. I need the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. As a pastor, as a member of this body of believers, I need the renewing strength of God's word. And, and so as we think about Revelation 2, we, we have to remember God's promises, but we also have to renew God's principles because even the ones we know best get lost from time to time. You know, there are things that you knew when you first trusted Christ that you were excited about and you're just gung-ho about, and now it's just kind of hum-ho, right? And, and we've seen that happen, and it's, part of it's a culture change, and, and part of it uh, is the demographics of our church. But as we've tried to find uh, times when we can get people to really be involved, uh, when I first came here, we had Sunday night church every week, and we would have 60 or 70 people and, you know, kind of got into that routine. And, and we tried to change how we do Sunday school some to get people more connected. And we have Wednesday night Bible study that's gone down to just a handful of believers. And, and so sometimes I wonder, is it me? Is it the culture? What's going on? And we're, we're trying everything we can try as far as vision that God would give us to move this local church forward. And we're not doing things that we do. Some of you are going to think, you know, we're doing this fall campaign and we're changing some things we do with our small groups. Look, we're not doing anything to make life easier on ourselves. Okay? We're doing it because we're trying to grow this church to be what God wants it to be. And if we can't, what I get frustrated about, what almost sends me over the edge, is when people who will not invest their time and energy in the things we already do as a church complain about the things we don't do. That just almost sends me over the edge. Okay, when there are people who say, well, why don't we do this? Or why do we stop doing this? And what I want to say is, you didn't even come when we did it. And so I'm not trying to be mean, but don't critique everything we do as a local church until you get yourself in the arena of serving God. And I'm telling you what, if you're not active in what the church already offers, don't be critical of what the church is doing. Well, we don't do this anymore. Well, you didn't even do it when we did that. Okay, so that's just a personal frustration that I'm offering to you. But, but look, we've got to get back to God's promises, and we've got to renew God's principles in our life. And that helps us as we close today, to realize our God-given potential. To realize our God-given potential. Look what he says again in Revelation 2.5. It's so powerful. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Do the first works. We have to get back to the basics. We have to get back to the basics a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot. It's, it's 
so incredible how quickly vision leaks. It really is. And we could announce something at the beginning of church. I could talk about it in the message, and we could talk about it at the end of church, and we'll still have people call in on Monday to ask us why we didn't announce it. Information and vision leak like crazy. And when we talk about being a served church and serving God by serving others, that's something we just have to talk about and talk about and talk about and talk about until every person in the room says, I'm sick of it. And then the message is just starting to get through. Okay, so, so if you think, boy, we're talking about these purposes a lot. Well, we're talking about them a lot because we forget them very easily. These basics, these purposes, these initial fundamental things that God wants us to do. If we sit by idly and we do nothing, I understand the reality that Centennial Baptist Church will not be around for another generation. There are churches, thousands of churches, that close their door every year in the United States because they gap out up top. The older saints begin to go to heaven and there's nobody there to replace them. And we need to find an army of new believers, of teens, of young couples, of middle-aged couples to attack the gates of hell. And to do that, we have to do the purposes God has called us to do and rise up and be the church that he wants us to be now. I don't know how long God's going to allow me to be the pastor here. I have absolutely no plans to leave. Uh, none of us know how long it'll be before Jesus calls his church out of the world. There's some Christian numerologists who say it's going to be this week on September 23rd. That was in the news the other day. Uh, if you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you, okay? <laughs> Jesus said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. Uh, but none of us know how long we're going to be given the opportunity to serve on this earth. I may not be here next week. I will be here, Lord willing, next week. And then on the next Monday, I'm flying to Ukraine on a mission trip. I'll be preaching in universities in three different cities. And if you'd be praying about that. Uh, the Wednesdays when I'm gone, Brother Eric Fallon, one of our deacons, is going to do my Bible study. And I'm excited for you to be able to get to come in contact with Brother Eric and his heart for God. What a genuine servant of the Lord. Uh, and that Sunday I'm gone, October 1st, Pastor Cole has got a message that is coming at you, okay? Yeah, I've seen what it is, and it's, it's powerful stuff as we get into the campaign. But uh, Lord willing, I'm going to be here next Sunday, but I may not be. You never know when God's going to take you home. But as long as God has me here, I'm resolved to continue preaching God's word, whether it's popular or not, no matter how many people are in the room, because we grow stronger through worship. I think that was in your notes. We grow stronger through worship. You know, we go stronger through a time of private worship, a daily walk with God. Surveys in the last year or two that have been done with anonymous groups of Christians tell us that fewer than 10% of those who self-identify as born-again believers have a daily Bible reading and prayer time. Fewer than 10%. Now, here's the staggering thing about the study. The study included the pastors and leaders of the local churches. Fewer than 10% in an anonymous study 
so that they actually had a Bible reading and prayer time on a daily basis. It is impossible to grow without spiritual food. It's impossible. And we all need that time every single day. We've got to have private worship. We also go through public worship when we come together as brothers and sisters to magnify the Father. Worship is the foremost foundation of what we do. Whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. But then I want to share this one with you. We grow warmer through fellowship. We grow warmer through fellowship. Authentic fellowship with the body means that we minister together and we pray together and we eat together and study together and praise together. In the book of Acts, they did this in houses on a daily basis. In modern times, we've had different varieties of these Sunday school groups or small groups where we gather in circles rather than rows and where the body participates and spiritual gifts are used for God's glory. Next Sunday night, we have a launch party for our fall campaign that begins on October 1st. And we're asking God to touch the heart of many people to step forward and be group hosts for six weeks. That's it, six weeks. It's a six-week experiment. If we don't renew the fellowship of the church body, it grows stale. And if we're honest as a church, we know that our current life groups have become a little stale. Okay, we're not doing a whole lot of ministry through those like we should. Not a lot's being accomplished. And so we're experimenting for this six-week period with people having groups in their homes. And a group can be you and two or three other people or two or three other couples. It can be people from church or people not from church. We will not facilitate the group for you. We're not going to put people in your group if you sign up. You have to get them yourself. The truth is, we'd be thrilled if we could get people from outside the walls of this church to reach others uh, so that we can go out in the community. And so to be a host is a step of faith, but it's not that complicated. Here are the qualifications. You have to be willing to open up your home for six weeks. Okay, that's step number one. You have to be willing to offer a snack for the first week. Okay, so that can be one bag of micro microwave popcorn or in a glass of water or whatever it is. Maybe somebody else in the group can do the next week. Uh, you have to care about people and want God's best for the people in your group. And number four, this is a tough one, you have to be able to turn on a DVD player. Okay, that's it. Those are the four. Uh, those are the only qualifications. We grow warmer through fellowship. Now, you can sign up to be a host today after the service. The launch party is next Sunday night at 5.30, and we're going to have snacks provided. Now, we also, we're not just going to hand you a book and say go at it. We have a special training for you on Sunday morning, October 1st, in-depth to tell you how to do everything. So worship and fellowship are two of the basics in doing the first works. But then we grow deeper through discipleship. Discipleship is continuing to follow Jesus throughout your lifetime. And to help our focus to be right on discipleship, we have next steps. And we've been telling you a lot about that recently. The next, we grow broader through ministry. Every week we have serve teams that do all sorts of things around here. They're serving God by serving others. And uh, we have some things planned for this fall to help you know about your spiritual gift and your passion and your ability and your personality and your experience, the things I told you about last week. 
Lastly, we grow larger through evangelism. Jesus has called every single one of his children to be witnesses to the world around us. I like what one old preacher said. A witness is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. None of us have arrived. Okay? I haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. There's no place where it says, you know what? If you've been a Christian for 25 years, you've arrived, and now you're good. Okay, we're all the same. We're just beggars who need God's mercy. And if you're a child of God, you're only special because of Jesus, okay? And you're as much of a sinner as anyone else. And complacent Christians forget how wonderful the grace of God has been in changing them. And often they sit idly by while others around them die without Christ. We need to ask God as a church to help us to have real compassion for people. As we move forward into however many years God gives us together, I pray that we'll realize our God-given potential and do the first works. The precious blood of Jesus demands that we offer ourselves a living sacrifice to God and use our lives and resources for his glory. Revelation 2.4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And I wonder if there was a time in your life where you were in love with Jesus, and now things have slipped. And I want to pray together this morning that not only for me as a pastor, me as a person, but for every one of you, that we will renew our love relationship with Jesus Christ. Father,